So, what's the plan? Right. We take Pete's car, we drive over to Mum's, we go in, we take care of Philip. I'm so sorry, Philip. Then we grab Mum, we go over to Liz's place, pull up, have a cup of tea, and wait for all this to blow over. Welcome back to the Geordie Films class, where we teach classes about class films. Today, we're going to be exploring Edgar Wright's Cornetto trilogy in order to determine how the three films apply their American genre aesthetics against the British setting to create comedy. Can I get any of you cunts a drink? Tune class is now in session. Contemporary British cinema stands at a difficult point between the need for profits and universal appeal and the requirement for the director's film to remain British and highlight the known aspects of the nationality. If, as identified, current attempts to please the American market lead to the ironing out of British idiosyncrasies and the reliance on settings and subjects that feel universal, then where can we place Edgar Wright's Cornetto trilogy? Delving into genres of worldwide significance, whilst directed from a profoundly global stylistic milieu, Though still branching into relatable British topics and set within the small towns and suburbs of England, both Shaun of the Dead, Hot Fuzz, and The World's End could be said to be a global property just as far as they're seen as a British one. First, some contextual information about the as-defined common British film. We might consider the monetary element. Financial backing for the trilogy comes from a mixture of Studio Canal, a French company, and Working Title, who are the British funders, which might immediately call into question the true British nature of the movie if a percentage of their funding comes from a non-English source. Though, we can see this has little effect towards the cultural standing of the final product when referred here in relation to the BFI cultural test for what constitutes a British film. Thus, Studio Canal is not as relevant to our discussion here. Looking instead to the British backing, the Cornetto trilogy marks a departure from the working title's usual filmic output. This company has often produced many a British film which, at its core, presents a middle-class, London-centric view of Britain and utilises romantic comedy conventions to exhibit a romanticised fictional view of England and its cultural standing, which is generally tremendously popular globally. Famously, we may associate these labels and production notes with the films of Richard Curtis, Four Weddings and a Funeral, which he wrote, and Love Actually, which he wrote and subsequently directed. In contrast, while remaining a comedic franchise, the construction of the Cornetto trilogy is primarily a hybrid of forms, traditions, and texts, which results in a genre-hopping final product that blends American genre filmmaking with specifically British humour and setting to provide a base of reference for visual aids and writing. Though this could present an issue deriving from the lack of subjects that feel universal, alienating the global audience who are used to exploring and thus constructing comedy within the possible tensions between English and American culture through their stories and characters, here it is instead through the level of style and its relationship to content that Wright explores and exploits this concept. 
By avoiding the often replicated chocolate box Britain and calling attention to the almost social realist representation of suburban middle-class London and small-town England, Wright brings the focus towards the mundanity of regular life to provide the backdrop for comedic footing, highlighting the absurd situations behind each film's premise by importation of scenarios commonly associated with either American or historically set UK horror into the kind of landscapes familiar from British dramas and television soap operas. This is a method Wright almost certainly finds inspiration in, American Wealth and London, within all three of the films. The disconnect present between genre aesthetics and classically realist settings is further exacerbated. What do you mean? Well, you guys hardly get on, do you? Now, what does exacerbate mean? It means, um, to make things worse. Right. By Wright's method of stylizing the mundane through expressive and referential camera work and editing. Borrowing from global generic influences to implement into his own filmmaking style, Wright uses a variety of evocative symbols and aesthetic mimicry to invoke a memory response in his viewers. Whether this is through retooling known lines into a new context. They're coming to get you, Barbara. We're coming to get you, Barbara! Actively deciding to directly recreate shots and framing from the films he is consciously copying. or thematically referencing the common conventions of the genres within which he is creating. Similarly, through the commonality of vehicles and objects travelling outwards towards or past the camera, camera judders and whiplash pans that are found in most contemporary action cinema, the kinetic quick cuts for tulip montages reminiscent of Raimi's Evil Dead 2, or perhaps the general sense of intensified continuity lent by the rapid editing, bipolar extremes of lens lengths, reliance on close shots and wide-ranging camera movements found within modern Hollywood filmmaking, the Cornetto trilogy distinctly stands out from the traditionally historic British comedic output. Generally, Britain's more ambitious directors who remained in the UK were left frustrated in their aims, or in some cases, simply went to America, where their style and methods were better received. In the Cornetto trilogy, Wright instead brings America to the UK. If Wright is able to authentically duplicate the aesthetics found within these genre movies, with complete sincerity, we can then see confirmation that the underlying comedic material, meaning that which is outside of the explicitly presented comedy, actually derives from the contrasted British setting. Here, the spectator is consistently aware of this uncommon generic relocation, unable to take it seriously through the transcontextualization of a usually applicable generic aesthetic to the unlikely locations and characters. In this way, the transplanted global style to a decidedly British setting allows the films to acknowledge the influence of both Hollywood and the national contexts and present themselves as commercially receptive cinema without compromise. Wright also utilizes his global cultural influences past the aesthetic attributes and into the writing process to form a recognizable basis for the trilogy's British comedy and narrative beats. Much like Romero's commentary on consumerism within Dawn of the Dead, similar allegorical underpinnings behind Shaun of the Dead have been updated for the modern day, metaphorically presenting issues on the debasement inherent in a service economy within the cultural context of the dominant economic system that emerged after the Thatcher government privatised and devastated British industry. 
this national and cultural context would have a significantly less impactful effect on a global audience divorced from the state of affairs if it weren't able to transcend these with universal themes such as the fear of growing up, commitment, loss, and of being trapped in a life the characters don't want. These themes consistently materialize in different ways throughout the entirety of the trilogy through Simon Pegg's various protagonists. The characterization of Wright's leading characters within their unique social context appear to directly comment towards the contemporary commonality found in surrounding British media. In all three films, they tackle the varying influences of the American genres they're inspired by. Sean, hold on. Sean, what I'm trying to say is, I need something a little more. More than spending every night in a Winchester. I want to get out there and do more interesting stuff. I want to live a little. I want you to want to want to do it too. Though Sean begins the film reflecting the stumbling but endearing style of man made successful by Hugh Grant in Richard Curtis's films, as the film continues in the American generic influences, coming through both the style and the writing, overpower the narrative British romantic comedy background, Sean develops into a reluctant hero, more representative of the hyper-American action stars expected within the genre's output, thus utilising the situation as a metaphor for his growing maturity and responsibility. Angel. The same could be said of the protagonist of Hot Fuzz, Nicholas Angel, a serious and committed policeman officer. She's not a policewoman. She's absolutely not wrong. She's a police officer. Being a woman has nothing to do with it. Who is first presented as a contrasting foil to the usual protagonists often found within the popular world of masculine competitive sociability we might call Ladland. Inspired by a saturation of British gangster films released in the early 2000s, such as Matthew Vaughan's Layer Cake. A similar generic development is seen from Sergeant Angle. Morning, Angle. Morning, Angle. Morning, Morning, Angle. Sergeant Angle. Over the course of the movie, as he is inspired to embrace the American generic influences, with help and direct reference from Danny and his extensive knowledge of contemporary action cinema, and finishes the film as much a part of the aesthetic as the style of camera work and editing. Though here, his development presents a rejection towards the expected maturity. Unlike with Sean's character, this is closer to our understanding of new ladism, operating as a regressive escape from the demands of maturity and highlighting a commonality with the popular masculine representations despite initial differences. Ever have one of those nights that starts out like any other but ends up being the best night of your life? Are you sitting comfortably? Finally, Wright then rejects his own model of growing development through American generic influences in the world's end with Gary King. Who the hell do you think you are? Me? They call me the King. His final and most complex protagonist. Gary begins and ends the story in a state of perpetual adolescence, as found within the other protagonists. Though here, the development that takes place is within this relationship between genre and character. Unlike both Sean and Angel, Gary is unfazed by the impossible situation and the American generic influences this brings, and actively decides to ignore its invasion by focusing towards completing the Golden Mile and the British dramatic narrative running through the film's background. A narrative influenced and inspired by a very British national myth in the medieval Arthurian tales and British folklore it borrows from. By the film's conclusion, when the characters reject the alien's influence and thus that which stands for the American genre aesthetics and are left to their own devices, It's pointless arguing with you. 
you will be left to your own devices. Really? Yeah. Fuck it. It is exactly because of Gary's adolescence. Finding a conclusion to the British narrative instead of the American genre, and a return to the Arthurian ways through the post-apocalyptic representation of the epilogue. When we ask the question of national cinema, we have to consider a variety of sometimes overlapping but often totally independent aspects. And when we look towards Wright's Cornetto trilogy, Neither its economics, exhibition, or consumption, evaluation, or representation can be said to be fundamentally British. However, as identified, it is through this complex construction of global cinematic presentation that Wright is able to create an entirely British film, without needing to assert its nationality in the ways that British cinema commonly does. The films are as British as they may be globally influenced, but within the current creative milieu, this is to be expected of most films. Where Wright differs is in his application of this context. The location and characterization are key to the creation of comedic elements, just as the genre's aesthetics are key to the story and global appeal, transcending the universal barrier through thematic, aesthetic, and economic translation. The dichotomous relationship at the heart of his global films is entirely reliant upon the American aesthetic to be deployed against the British setting, resulting in a trilogy that is neither wholly British nor American but globally constructed, received, and enjoyed. How's that for a slice of fried gold? Yeah, boy!